This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller, Danny Nelson, and Cam Thompson as they seize the world of crypto. Hello and welcome to Carpe Consensus. My name is Ben Schiller. I'm the features editor here at Coindesk. Joining me today is Cam Thompson. Hey, Cam. Hey, Ben. How are you doing? It's quite a day in crypto land. Uh, some big really enforcement is. actions coming. Just to say, Danny Nelson is out this week uh, enjoying a well-deserved break. And so we'll pick it up without him. So Cam, what do you make of this? Uh, it's pretty big news. Wow, it's been a crazy past 24 hours. I think exactly 24 hours ago is when the Binance SEC lawsuit came out. And then once again this morning with Coinbase, I mean, you know, I'm not really surprised if I'm being honest. I think we can get into it a lot more. But I think that it is a very big moment in the crypto regulatory landscape in terms of how we determine what tokens are securities and which are not. That's really what I'm looking at. So what are you looking at? How do you make sense of all of this, Ben? Well, I agree with you. I'm not really very surprised. I mean, Gary Gensler, you know, is a bet noir amongst the crypto industry. He's not very popular, but he has been quite consistent, at least in his pronouncements about what is and what isn't a security. And he's been saying for the last three years as SEC chair that he thinks everything other than Bitcoin is security. Basically, I mean, there's some ambiguity around Ethereum, but everything else is a security. And that means if you're an exchange and you haven't registered, as a securities provider, then uh, you can expect to see some enforcement action at some point. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot of kind of gnashing of teeth from people saying, oh, Gary Gensley is doing this thing. He's trying to kill crypto. And maybe he is. But I can't say we could be that surprised about these actions because uh, they've been coming a long time. Absolutely. So the lawyer in the Binance lawsuit has been named, and it looks like the name of that lawyer is none other than Daniel Nelson. Now, is this the same Daniel Nelson, Danny Nelson, that we podcast with? I don't know, but he's gone on vacation. <laughs> Just kidding. It's definitely not Danny, but wow, that is a very funny coincidence. <laughs> All right, we're going to jump into this big time today with Nick Day, and there's no finer person to talk about uh, regulation in crypto than Nick. Uh, he's the regulation editor here at Coindesk. And he's been following everything about this case and many other cases related to it for the last uh, five or six years. So we're going to get a good perspective from him. So let's get to it. So Nick, this must be a busy time for you. You're regulatory editor here at Coindesk. Just describe what your last 24 hours has looked like. At 10 a.m. this morning, I messaged a fellow reporter, what a day. And he responded with, it's 10 a.m., Lemon, uh, which is a reference <laughs> to 30 Rock. So. That is, I think, a good summary of the last 24 hours. Yeah. So just a reminder to our listeners, this is Tuesday morning. So we're just picking up on the Coinbase news, which has just been a subject of a SEC action. And this follows a big action yesterday from the SEC suing Binance, the biggest exchange in crypto, for securities violations. So just immediately, Nick, where do you see this going in the next 24 hours? It's going to be an interesting 24 hours. Obviously, right now, Coinbase is just receiving this lawsuit. We don't know how they will respond. My assumption is it's going to be a you know protracted legal battle. Coinbase is probably going to take some time, work out its defense, file a motion to dismiss, all the other usual formulaic things we'd expect in a lawsuit like this. Already, they put out a statement saying that they believe this is an enforcement action that is not aiding any kind of regulatory clarity questions, stuff we've heard before. 
on the Binance front, you know, I think probably something similar. We're going to see statements about how the SEC is not answering questions about how companies in the crypto sector should operate. And so they're just going off of this, you know, regulation by enforcement catchphrase we've heard over and over and over again. Looking beyond the next 24 hours, you know, we're going to start seeing the legal defenses. We're going to start seeing, you know, these companies, these massive, you know, well-funded companies say, all right, well, we believe the SEC is wrong. Here's how and here's why. Right. I mean, that statement said there's no regulatory clarity uh, being given here, but we do know that the SEC is regulating by enforcement and there's a pretty big signal being sent here. Can you just talk about what this means for the future of regulation? I mean, surely it says something about what that's going to mean. Yeah. I mean, one thing, you know, I think that's worth noting about this whole regulation by enforcement phrase is that another way of looking at it is enforcing the law. The SEC has come out and said over and over again that it believes XYZ cryptos are securities. And, you know, Chair Gensler, as well as former Chair Jay Clayton, have come out and said, we believe all cryptocurrencies outside of, you know, a select few are securities. So, you know, I think a lot of these companies are kind of leaning on regulation by enforcement as almost a crutch to try and justify how they're going about things. The SEC clearly so far has been, you know, unimpressed by these arguments. If you look at some of the allegations, the fundamental question is, are cryptocurrency securities? And specifically, are cryptocurrencies listed by Binance, by Binance US, or by Coinbase securities? The SEC has said, okay, here are, you know, 12, 13 examples of crypto assets that we believe are securities. Everything stems from that, right? The actual allegations, the conduct that the SEC says violates securities laws, if you assume that these cryptocurrencies are securities, yeah, the arguments make sense. All of it follows. If you assume that the cryptocurrencies are not securities, that's where the, you know, the question comes in. So Nick, I have a question for you. It's no coincidence to me or many people, I believe, in the industry that, you know, yesterday the SEC sued Binance and this morning the SEC sued Coinbase. You know, there were some talks about how this was potentially a harbinger or more blatantly a bad omen for Coinbase, considering there was a Wells notice issued to the company a couple months ago. So I'm just curious about how you see these two events being connected in terms of the compliance claims, in terms of the tokens listed. I know there are some differences in the filings, but if you can just speak through a little bit about how these two cases, these two exchanges are connected in terms of these lawsuits and some of the differences that are outlined. Yeah, so... A lot of the actual charges that the SEC has filed, violations of the Exchange Act, violations of the Securities Act, they're pretty similar across both lawsuits. And the you know specific conduct, again, both Coinbase and Binance failed to register as a clearinghouse, failed to register as a broker or a dealer, and failed to register as an exchange. Those are pretty common. And we've actually seen this before. We've seen this with, for example, the SEC lawsuit against Bitrex. So this is not novel. It's clearly an argument the SEC has been building up towards for some time now. The actual allegations and the conduct that are being alleged are pretty different. With Binance, the SEC has also tacked on a host of other allegations, including claims that Binance was commingling customer funds, that Binance Global, the international exchange, had access to and was tapping and actively feeding on funds that belong to Binance US. Uh, those con- you know, Those allegations are pretty serious and very different from just what we saw with Coinbase, where the allegations are a little bit more kind of, you know, really vanilla. They're basically, you know, Coinbase didn't register, less serious than claims of commingling customer funds and being able to access funds in a way they shouldn't be. 
And just to follow up to that, there were some differences in the tokens listed in the filings. So, you know, whether it be Solana, Axie Infinity, Mana, Decentraland's native token, Sand, the Sandbox's native token, there were some similarities. There were also some differences there. So does it boil down to the fact that the SEC just defines these as securities for each of these exchanges? Or does it have to do a little bit more with some of the compliance you mentioned? There was a little bit more in terms of the Binance lawsuit. So how do you see these discrepancies? You know, what does that mean? The tokens aspect, I think, are common to you know, both lawsuits, even if the actual list isn't the same. The way the SEC has gone about it is... You know, it's the same. They're saying, okay, we think these tokens are securities. And, you know, in the lawsuits, they spell out why they think those tokens are securities. So, for example, in today's Coinbase lawsuit, there were paragraphs upon paragraphs from the SEC saying, okay, well, here's why we think the token tied to Cardano is a security. Or here are things that we found interesting about the Axie Infinity token. So, the SEC is kind of sort of providing an analysis on you know, how those tokens might be securities. Obviously, the SEC has not sued the issuers of these tokens or really done anything beyond putting them into lawsuits. And that's actually been a point of contention for a while now. But it is something that the SEC is starting to provide a little bit of clarity on. And it it is a bit common to both, you know, lawsuits now. So, I mean, it does seem that Binance and Coinbase are quite different companies. Uh, I mean, Binance has a reputation for playing a game of regulatory arbitrage. It doesn't have uh, an official headquarters. It's, uh, you know, CZ leader has sort of tracked around the world to whatever favorable jurisdiction he can find. Whereas Coinbase has really tried to play the kind of institutional game, right? It's tried to go from being a San Francisco startup, kind of playing the kind of fast and loose way with crypto to actually launching an IPO with the SEC a couple of years ago. And that seems like it's going to be an argument in its defense now that the SEC sanctioned the IPO, the direct listing of the company on NASDAQ. Now here it is uh, going after it for securities violations. How much do you think that you know IPO listing or, the, or direct listing is going to weigh upon this lawsuit? I mean, do you think it's an effective argument for Coinbase to say that it's been listed and that it's sort of hypocritical or contradictory of the agency to now go after it? Well, so what's really interesting is the SEC actually brought that up in the lawsuit and pointed out that when Coinbase filed for its direct listing, one of the risk factors that it mentioned was the fact that it might one day get sued by the SEC because of the current approach to crypto. So I I don't think Coinbase can effectively argue that being able to go public is is proof that the SEC had endorsed it because one of the conditions for going public was saying, oh yeah, one day the SEC might bring a lawsuit against us. Yeah, I'm not sure how exactly that would play out, but it's definitely something that the SEC has clearly acknowledged and is paying attention to. Uh, just talk a little bit about Gary Gensler himself, the chair of the SEC. Uh, I mean, it's quite remarkable, really, that when he came into that job, uh, you know, two or three years ago, he was seen as someone quite favorable to the industry. You know, he's uh, he taught uh, courses at MIT on digital currencies. He was involved in the research group there, the Digital Currency Initiative. So it was imagined or assumed that he would be helpful to the industry now in, in, in this job. <laughs> and it's turned out to be the, the very opposite. Um, do you see consistency in Gary Gensler's approach to the industry over time? Or do you think post FTX, he's really changed into a different person, a different regulator? I think post FTX, every regulatory agency in the US and frankly around the world is taking a second look at the entire crypto industry. 
But I also don't think that, you know, Chair Gensler is alone in, you know, first off being skeptical of the industry. It's been a bad year. Even before FTX, we saw a number of bankruptcies from lenders like Celsius and Exo and, you know, Voyager now. So I think there's been a lot of bad news for the crypto industry that might spook regulators. But I also think that Chair Gensler himself in particular, you know, something I wrote, I think, in a newsletter when he first was appointed to a job is he knows and understands crypto, but that might not necessarily be a good thing for the industry (laughs) because he knows and understands crypto. So he was seen as being favorable because he understood it. And I think a lot of people assumed that him understanding it meant that he would, you know, be a friend to it. But it's also true that there have been a lot of losses that the crypto industry and something that he acknowledged uh, during his confirmation hearing, the crypto industry doesn't have a lot of specific legislation or regulatory policies that it currently abides by. I think Gensler was put in a position where initially he said he wanted Congress to act. And then obviously we saw Congress was you know not going to. So Gensler clearly is trying to enforce what he sees as what the laws and the SEC's mandate are which is to ensure that if there's an unregistered securities operation going around, it's tamped down. He's applying that to crypto. And I don't think we can be too surprised. He's been you know, telegraphing this for years now. This can't be good for the crypto industry and particularly for the markets. Uh, we're already seeing the price of Bitcoin go down. I know this isn't exactly your, your field, Nick, but just give us a, a sense of the impact on the industry going forward. Is this going to have a chilling effect on investment, on people investing in crypto? What do you think? Honestly, I think the pivot to AI had probably a bigger chilling effect on crypto investment. Short term, I don't think there's going to be a huge impact, right? This is going to be uh, going to court. This is going to be a long drawn out thing. Remember that the SEC first Ripple case began at the end of 2020. It is now June 2023. We're still waiting on a ruling on the initial motion to dismiss or motion to continue. So a jury trial for that is going to be some way out yet. The Coinbase case, I can't imagine, is going to go too much more quickly than that. So it could be a while before we get any kind of clear resolution on this. It also, I think, is true that the hype cycle is probably more indicative of where the money's going to go. And, you know, this year has been a pretty bad year for investments into crypto companies and the crypto space generally. And a lot of that money seems to be going after, you know, AR, VR things and AI, which is not really artificial intelligence at this point, but that's what we're taking to calling it. So here we are. So maybe this ruling is good for AI then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the okay. shiny new toy. Another follow-up question I have for you, Nick, is where do you see the SEC cracking down on other exchanges? Do you expect there to be a third? You know, I like to say things come in threes. I mean, look at the banking collapse. That was that was all three in the course of a week. So do you expect any further rulings or any crackdowns on exchanges that may be operating quote unquote unregistered securities exchanges? I wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, for what's worth, we've already seen the SEC go after, uh, you know, they settled with Biaxi a while back. That was, I think, late last year. That was on pretty similar allegations to the Coinbase suit. We saw the SEC sue Bitrex earlier this year. And again, that was on, you know, pretty similar charges to what they're suing Coinbase for. There are a number of other US crypto exchanges, and I have to imagine none of them are going to be sleeping, you know, safe and soundly tonight. I don't know for sure if that, you know, if the SEC is going to bring a lawsuit or if it's going to, you know, maybe wait a little bit to get some momentum going on the Coinbase and Binance suits or if they're going to continue striking while the iron's hot and, you know, who knows, maybe we'll have a suit every day this week, which would certainly, you know, add to some of our job security. (laughs) Definitely. I guess it's good for us in any case. 
Do you know uh, this will have an effect actually on retail uh, users of crypto? I mean, if I go onto my Coinbase today, am I going to see any restrictions? Would you expect to see any restrictions on activities on those exchanges while these lawsuits are playing out? That's a good question. I genuinely have no idea. If Coinbase sees sufficient withdrawals that it's running low on immediately accessible funds, that might be an issue. I don't know what Coinbase's liquidity looks like. I don't know. We saw, for example, when Binance was sued, we saw outflows spike. If a similar thing happens with Coinbase, yeah, I think the question is, A, does Coinbase have the technical infrastructure to support it? And B, do they have the liquidity to support it? And I don't have an answer to either question. But my guess is people are probably going to be fleeing to safety for a little bit. But I was thinking more like, uh, you know, if, if Cosmos is named as a unregistered security in these lawsuits, are we still going to be able to go on Binance or, or Coinbase and trade in Cosmos? Yeah, honestly, I still have, I, I don't know. It, I think it depends on how the exchanges look at it, right? Right now, I think Coinbase and Binance's arguments are that these coins are not securities, that uh, they disagree with the SEC's fundamental question there and the premise of the lawsuit. And so I would be a little surprised if they tried restricting access to tokens that the SEC calls securities. And I think the precedent here is, you know, last year, Coinbase had a former product manager who they fired for insider trading. The SEC sued that individual and said, I think uh, nine tokens were securities that Coinbase lists, I think, seven of them. Coinbase did not restrict access to or trading of any of those coins. So if past behavior is any indication of future conduct, it does not appear that Coinbase is going to be slowing down or you know, restricting access to those tokens, at least until we get some kind of a ruling from a judge. Just the last question, Nick, you mentioned about these companies and how they would be gearing up for a fight now. I mean, if we thought this was coming and the whole industry basically thought this was coming, presumably this company, these companies thought this was coming and they must have been building a war chest and a kind of game scenario kind of, uh, you know, situation with, with a war room and so on. How long do you think they've been preparing for this day? Certainly a while. You know, we know that Coinbase received a Wells notice in March of this year, but it was Chief Legal Officer Paul Grewal who I think told us that there have been meetings between the SEC and Coinbase for a while now. We heard the same thing from Binance yesterday. They'd been meeting with the SEC regularly prior to the lawsuit. So I think, you know, both of these companies, Coinbase and Binance, have had ample warning that this was coming. So presumably they've been preparing throughout that time. Thanks very much for joining the show, Nick. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to get to our next segment now. So this week, Coindesk produced and published a report that we're calling the Consensus at Consensus Report. So just to give you a bit of context here, this comes out of the Consensus Festival, which we held in Austin in April. And there, rather than just uh, speaking on stage as we do with notable guests, we actually convened a back room off the record series of workshops with noted uh, industry figures to discuss the big intractable issues uh, that crypto faces going forward and to come up with a report that we're just publishing that outlines some sensible ways forward for the industry. And this is very much a kind of plural exercise. We really try to bring together a diverse number of people, not just entrepreneurs, but also regulators, policy wonks, different different people uh, giving their perspective on a very uh, wide-ranging series of topics. So, Cam, you were involved in one of the tracks that has now been published in the report, and that, that is about DAOs. Just talk about the process 
by which um, you saw this happening and what you put into the uh, excerpt that we're publishing on Friday, I think. Totally. So I wrote the chapter, The Way Forward for DAOs. So my session actually was open to the public. It was on the hash stage during consensus. So people could attend. A bunch of people gathered around and listened to a series of speakers talk about DAOs. One thing I want to note is I was surprised but really excited about the group of people on stage. So there were developers who have been very native to the crypto space since the beginning. There were also some people developing network states. There was also a doctor. It was really cool to hear about the different backgrounds that all of these figures provided. So like you were saying, Ben, about these diverse backgrounds and diverse speakers, it was really cool. I think that was very important for this conversation on DAOs and network states. I listened to that conversation and then took bits and pieces and wrote this report summarizing the takeaways. So Cam, uh, what, what were some of the key takeaways for you? Yeah, happy to elaborate. For my chapter, there were three main takeaways. And the first takeaway, which we've talked about a bunch, Danny's the DAO expert. I used to cover DAOs, so have my foot in the DAO space a little bit still. I'm still very interested in hearing about all of that. But anyways, first takeaway is that DAOs should be decentralized, which we've spoken about a lot on this podcast. There should be true decentralized methods. Decentralization in the times of good and bad is something that needs to be upheld. Another was main takeaway is that voter apathy is a big issue. So people won't vote because they're concerned about the amount of votes that certain DAOs might have. You know, voting power is a big thing. So some people, depending on their token holdings, might have 100 votes in a governance vote and someone might have one. And a lot of people were talking about how that's not fair and that members of a DAO should have one vote. And the last takeaway is that whatever you're doing in the DAO space, you know, if you're building a DAO, it should be to solve a real world problem. So really looking at the reasons behind why you're creating a DAO. And I hope that if you get the chance, you're listening to this, you can read the full chapter. Yeah, there's so much uh, in this report. And just to be clear, DAOs is just uh, one topic that's covered in the discussions and covered in the reports. So we also have a whole track on uh, central bank digital currencies. We have a track on NFTs. We have a track on crypto's environmental issues. We have something on privacy, on uh, custody, future custody. So Kama, any more takeaways from this report? Are you glad that we're doing this sort of exercise? Because uh, it is a kind of strategic change for Coindesk to actually get into the policymaking process or suggest policymaking ideas going forward rather than just being a convening operation with a conference and our website. It's a, it's a change of pace for Coindesk itself. Totally. And I think it's a great change of pace. I mean, there isn't a better time than now to share our thoughts on how we can help formulate this new regulatory regime that's emerging. And with so many different areas of coverage within the report, you know, I think it's really cool that we didn't just highlight crypto companies or crypto exchanges because these have really been at the forefront of regulatory crackdown. You know, we talked about DAOs, we talked about NFTs, you know, we talked about crypto media. That's another thing, you know, that's pretty close to home for us. It's cool that we're able to give all these different types of perspectives from each little bucket of the crypto space. I think that it should be really helpful, and I hope that people read it. I hope that people engage with it, too. You know, I hope people ask questions about how they can take some of the information from the reports and help do something with it. I mean, that's something that I'm excited to see. Totally. So uh, we're running excerpts, including cams, uh, all this week on coindesk.com. You can check it out on our homepage. 
And on every page, you can also download the full report. Please go ahead and, and do that. I think you'll find something fascinating, uh, whatever part of the crypto industry you're interested in or, or invested in. Check it out. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for editing them. <laughs> All right. Well, past 24 hours have been crazy. The next 36 are going to be something very interesting to look out for. So by the time this comes out on Thursday, I mean, we could be in a completely different place than we are now. I have no idea. Ben, do you think anything crazy is going to happen before Thursday? I mean, I think it's always crazy in crypto one way or another. Uh, but this is certainly a momentous moment uh, and certainly a, a time for all go in the newsroom. Uh, everyone really churning out news stories and analysis pieces and uh, some deeper dive things that we've got uh, in the offing. So uh, it's an exciting time. Totally. Well, thank you so much for listening. Leave us a review. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear about how you're vibing with Carpe. Thanks, Ben. Bye. Bye. Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production. Executive produced by Jared Schwartz and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening and see you next week.